Hello and welcome to Funding Quest, where our quest is to help you find the right funding for your small business. Today, we continue our conversation with Jack Hilton, President and CEO of Hilton Financial Corporation and the Chairman of the Metro Phoenix Bank. Jack will talk today about different ways that business owners can become their own bank. He will be referring quite a bit to his book, which is entitled, Be the Bank. When the bank says no or moves too slow, you are the bank. And it shares with us several different ideas of how we as business owners can invest our hard-earned capital that we can start investing that in similar ways that banks do. As we dig a little bit further into these opportunities of right. being the bank by investing in right. loans, which is primarily what banks do. Right. That's the primary investment asset for banks yes. is, is loans. And so thinking that way, especially from a private money standpoint, investing in private money, there, there are different types of private money loans, yes. right? And, and, and each of those would have their own pros and cons, yes. risks and benefits. Yep. You want to talk a little bit about those? Yes, and we can kind of compare it to a bank. Each asset class, you have single-family homes. You have uh, two to fours or multifamily you know, uh, properties. You have retail properties, commercial, land. You have lots of different property types. In a bank, a bank calls those buckets. If you want to call it buckets in your own personal bank, you can do that. So you don't want your, your, all your money in the same bucket. And sometimes those buckets are bigger than other buckets. As an example, single-family homes, you, uh, banks use a percentage of their capital to determine how much money that they want in each bucket or each, each, each class of investment. Uh, so on single-family homes and multifamily, that may be substantially larger than raw land, which is going to be even smaller than improved lots. So those two types of asset class classes in downturns have a tendency to get hurt or, or have a longer recovery time than, say, a single-family home. Um, banks aren't going to lease that home out, but you as a private investor can lease that home out or you can lease the apartments or c commercial property uh, and wait out the downturn. And we did that a lot uh, with properties that we acquired through uh, at the beginning of the downturn. We just, we just waited the market out. And uh, on the ones that we could lease out, we did pretty good. Whereas on the lots and land, it's just you know, how long do you want to sit before you come back to a liquidity position? And then you have a cost, you know, valuation and, you know, return on investment calculations that you make. I mean, land, raw land took, you know, eight to 10 years and yeah. there was funds that were set up just to invest in raw land at the beginning of the downturn. And investors that went into those funds became very fatigued they call it fatigue. Mm -hmm. How long is this thing going to go? Because they're not We cash thought it was going to be a right? quick, you know, three to five year turnaround, and here we're almost ten. You know, so 
so at any rate, different investment types and, uh, uh, you know, investors looking at that, uh, some of them may not want to be in lots or land or commercial. Some of them may just want to be in single family. Some of them may not want to be in construction loans. Construction loans to me is a very good uh, investment class. Again, what are the risks and what are you doing to mitigate that risk? In construction loans, uh, we, at banks we call it construction risk. It's called the same thing anywhere you go. There's a risk that the borrower, the contractor, may not be able to complete that property. As you know of recent, we've had uh, cost increases in lumber and cement and metal and wiring. Uh, we've had supply chain shortages, you know, shortages that uh, appliances weren't available, some electrical components weren't available. So, so those are risks. Um, but what happens in a construction loan is similar to what happens in a fix and flip. The money for the construction budget goes into a trust account at a bank and um, comes out in draws. We like to use the line item percentage of completion for work in place draw system. And I always have to take a breath in there just to get that phrase out. It's a long term, but what it means is the builder does some work, an inspector goes out and inspects it, and then we get paid for the work that was done. There are some exceptions uh, for deposits. As you know, one good example is trusses. Uh, trust companies usually want a 50% deposit, so we will pay that deposit direct to the trust company. Another example may be cabinets. You know, when a cabinet maker makes cabinets, he's making it for your home. You know, if you don't finish, if you don't take that and pay for that cabinet, those cabinets, he may have a hard time getting rid of those cabinets at full, full price. So uh, sometimes uh, window and door packages, uh, those are companies that quite often will want to deposit. We make that deposit to them direct. We want to know they got it. So that's how we mitigate that risk. When the money's gone, the project should be complete. And you say, well, what happens if it's not? And we've been very blessed in this last couple of years with the supply chain shortages and the lumber increases. I mean, we've had people that my lumber, my lumber went up $25,000. Fortunately, they put it in. But that's one of the ways we mitigate risks is, is to control the money very tightly and make sure the project gets done. And then the, the risk is the project doesn't get done. And not in this downturn, but in uh, previous times, uh, we may have gotten project, uh, say a house got completed to the cabinets, but you know the, the cabinet tops and the flooring and appliances weren't in. Well, at our loan to value, we were still able to come out okay. We didn't make the money that we would have had, had that all, all been done and we foreclosed on it. Uh, foreclosures, I guess that's a good segue. Uh, you know, what are the other risks in investing in deeds of trust? Uh, the borrower could stop paying on the loan, could default, either a monetary default or a non-monetary default. And on a monetary default, they just don't pay the payments and you wind up starting foreclosure on them. As an investor, uh, you make the decision uh, unless you're in one of our funds, you make the decisions how long to give that borrower to work whatever is going on out. Uh, sometimes you give them a month, sometimes you don't, sometimes you give them a couple months. It all depends on the situation. 
but you're going to make the decision when to foreclose, when not to foreclose. We're going to walk you through the foreclosure process. Uh, most of ours are done through an attorney that uh, we've been using for you know, 35 years or so, uh, and he doesn't charge our clients with an upfront deposit. If you go to a title company, sometimes they'll ask you for a couple thousand dollar deposit to start a trustee sale. So, so we use an attorney. Um, the only time you're going to pay that uh, cost of a foreclosure is if you take title to the property. So you start a trustee sale, you go through the trustee sale process, 90 days in Arizona. At the uh, trustee sale, it, you enter your credit bid. And if somebody bids $1 over your credit bid, they're going to buy the property. Usually, if the property has some good equity in it, there will be several people bidding on the property. And so it will bid up, uh, but you're going to get paid off. And, and we don't even count that against our foreclosure ownership rate, which prior to the downturn was uh, like 1.68%, less than two out of a hundred loans our clients took title to. Uh, after this downturn, I mean, it is virtually non-existent, but, but there certainly is that risk. And the reason it's been so low after the downturn is that uh, a lot of the properties that have gone to trustee sale have been bidded on by third parties. Or they sold the property through the real estate market agent right. or whatever. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Okay, excellent. Well, so let's assume that the uh, business owner mm -hmm. says, that sounds like a good place for me to put some money. I, I've got some money I want to invest and earn better than bank interest rates or, or so. So what are some of the vehicles, how, how they can actually be the bank by investing in right. loans? And that's the purpose of the book, is to get you familiar with community banks. But we all want to be the bank someday. Uh, and, and you've got to look at, at risk. Some people uh, see, and we can call this alternative type of investing, as risky. But the funny thing is, the bank will take your deposits, and they will invest in the very things that you could invest in. And, and they're doing the same thing. They're doing everything they can to mitigate risk, but they're taking the risk. So there's, you know, different ways that you can retire. You know, you can put your money in the bank and earn whatever the interest rate is at the time. And the government certainly has manipulated that during the last uh, 10 plus years. Uh, or you can be the bank and, and invest in investments that will give you a good return. The first one I, I always recommend is mortgages, and that's because it's secured income. You're getting a higher than normal income, and right now, seven to ten percent range income from first trustees. That, as I mentioned, there's different asset types, but loan to value on a single family home we would typically cap at 69 percent, uh, apartments maybe 65%, you know, duplex, triplex, fourplex, small apartments, 20 units or whatever. 65% uh, standard, you know, we'd usually want uh, loan to cost to be more like 80% uh, loan to cost. We, we don't go to the 90 usually on those. Lots and land, uh, land is like 50% acreage. I'm talking raw acres. Somebody wants to borrow money on 20 acres. And we're not really even big on that right now because of the bad taste and our mouth from holding certain pieces of raw land in, from the past. So improved lots are a little different story if it's in a very um, 
buildable area, marketable area. Uh, we do 65% uh, and we will go 80% of cost um, on improved lots. So different types of assets, you, you do want to break them up. Even if you decide, I'm going to put everything in single-family homes, I would say that's not an unreasonable thing. Single-family homes are the most marketable real estate on, on the planet. Uh, but you wouldn't want it all on one borrower now, would you? So that's another way. And, and banks do the same thing. Banks will, can only lend a certain percentage of their capital to a single borrower. And we're going to do the same thing in our own personal bank to mitigate our risks. Did I answer that question? Good. Yes. Those are some excellent examples. Now, as far as investing in mortgages, there's a couple ways they could do it, maybe through a fund that has right. some diversification right. or owning mortgages directly. Let's discuss those. Uh, and there's different ways you can hold title in those. Uh, as an example, you can hold title in, in an IRA and a 401k, family limited partnership, family LLC. Those are very common. People would typically set those up with their estate planning. We're going to all die sometime. You know, the, the goal on those is usually to gift the ownership and those entities off to your children, you know, before you pass away. So they're not going to get anything till you're gone. You know, <laughs> you're going to manage it. Another one we talked about a little bit was uh, corporations. Some people uh, own these in corporations. Uh, interest income is considered portfolio income. And so it's, it's just like your wages. It's, you're going to pay taxes on this income. In a C corporation, you can, you can write off certain business expenses, including a medical reimbursement plan uh, that you can't write off in other types of entities like a LLC or a, a partnership. So uh, that's why people would do that. So you can hold title in your bank. You, you can have several banks, right? You, you got a 401k. You can invest in your 401k. You got the family limit part. We have uh, investors with several entities that they're buying mortgages uh, for. So that's, that's just how they can have their bank structured. Um, but going back, a lot of investors like to invest in direct mortgages. You buy the whole loan. You make all the decisions. When we set those up, we set those up to be serviced through an independent uh, account servicing agent. We set it up so it's almost like buying a piece of real estate. You're going to go through an escrow. You're going to get title insurance on the, uh, the loan. If it's a loan that we've already funded, you're going to get a number one endorsement in Arizona because each state, they call them something else, that, that transfers that title insurance policy over to you. You know, the insurance is going to be there in case there's a fire. You're going to be protected from that. You own it lock, stock, and barrel. You make every decision. If the borrower is late, he has a, a good excuse. You want to waive the late fee, it's your, your choice. If you don't want to waive it, it's your choice. You make every decision. And it's a good investment. Uh, many of our clients do that. Another in, uh, way to invest in deeds of trust is to go in a fund. Uh, we have two types of funds, but the, the main fund uh, is where we set up a, a LLC. Uh, you come in as a member to be a trustee or a mortgage investor as a member. And as I mentioned back during when we was talking about broker-dealers and syndication, private placements, there's a preferred return. We call it a priority return in our fund, and you, that's a 7% priority return. So. You're going to get 7% before we get anything other than a small management fee. 
And then our target return is 9 to 10%, which is what you would probably get if he was buying an individual deed of trust, somewhere between the 9 to 10%. Well, the, the preferred return you're going to get before we get anything, the, the other 9 to 10% target, as we get there, then we'll make more. Mm-hmm. So the more you make, the more we're going to make. So that's good. <laughs> uh, but the benefit of investing in a fund, comparing it to an individual deed of trust, it has a low entry amount of $25,000. When you buy a deed of trust, let's say it's a $300,000 first deed of trust, you have to have $300,000 at that time liquid to buy that deed of trust. And you're putting in one investment. And you're putting in one investment. So as the fund gets bigger and bigger, you're going to have 30 to 50 deeds of trust in that fund. That's that's the goal. Uh, And so you're spreading the risk, risk of foreclosure, risk of loss, but you're also spreading the risk of income interruption because if one or two loans go into a foreclosure process or, or just the borrower's late on his payments, he's not even in foreclosure yet, he's just late on his payments, you know, if you have a $300,000 note and he's late on his payment, you didn't get your interest on that 300000 But if one or two of those loans did that in the fund, they're going to have a very minimal impact on your cash flow. Uh, The fund is quarterly, that's different. Uh, Mortgages are usually paid monthly, but you know, for accounting reasons, it's just easier and less costly to do the accounting quarterly. And the fund is for uh, five years. It's a five-year fund. There's a little less than five years on the one that we have now is called Private Bankers Mortgage Fund One. So uh, if you're interested in that, you do have to be an accredited investor on that particular fund. We do other funds that you don't have to be an accredited investor on. They also are referred to as a pool, a mortgage pool. We're calling it a mortgage fund because we're going to invest in multiple loans in that fund. Another one, sometimes we'll have a larger loan, maybe a million, two million dollars. And a lot of times our investors don't want to let their funds accumulate to a million, two million dollars in a bank here. You're losing you know, income by doing that, by not having it invested uh, in in mortgages. So sometimes we'll set up a syndication for that single mortgage or deed of trust, and you you can come into that fund. And normally we would set those up uh, where it doesn't have to be accredited. So if if you're a syndicator, you'll know what a 502B is. That is somebody that uh, we can bring into a syndication that we have a pre-existing business relationship with. So they bought a deed of trust from us. Uh, you know, they did something with us on a business basis. Now we can include them into a fund that's under set up under a 506B. On the pool fund we have set up as a 506C, it allows us to advertise. It allows us to bring a member who sees this this video in or the podcast uh, without any pre-existing business relationship. The trade-off is they have to be an accredited investor, and we do have to document that with uh, several ways, a letter from their CPA or attorney, or uh, there's there's online companies that, that will do that and certify that they're accredited. Accredited investor, of course, just means that your net worth exclusive of your home and autos is a million dollars plus. There's also some income ways to verify that you're a accredited investor. I think it's $200,000 as an individual or three as a couple. 
per year for the last two years. So that's considered an accredited investor. Excellent. And in addition to these mortgages, there are even other alternative investments that banks will sometimes invest in as well, but as, as an individual being the bank, yep, they are also alternatives. Yeah, you, when you're considering things to put in your bank, you can consider things, and we have many mortgage trustee investors that do um, tax liens. In Arizona, they're called CPs or Certificates of Purchase, uh, which and in the old days, we used to go down to a big smoke-filled room, and you have a little number, a little paddle, and you hold up your number. I've, and I've done that. Yeah. Yep. Well, we don't do that anymore. So now it's all online. And, and when you're bidding on those, uh, you're bidding down. And you can bid on different asset types on that. There's people that want to actually own the property. Well, they're not going to own the property if they bid on a single-family home with a mortgage on it. It's not going to happen, you know. Uh, it's going to get reinstated, and they're not going to be there long. But those would get bidded down, and they'd probably get bidded down to 3 or 4%, whatever, vacant lot uh, on the edge of town out by the power plant, those are the ones that you're going to own, and those are the ones that aren't going to get bidded down as much. You might get a 16% on that, uh, but I've I've owned uh, CPs uh, out by the power plant for, you know, 20 years, you know. That's a good asset type to have, and it's very little investment if you do have to at least make sure there's no environmental issues and even if it just know the property it's typically not going to be on a single family home typically small apartment more apt to be on a commercial or land that was in an industrial area so be careful there i, I did have uh, an investor in new jersey that got s- stuck on some property that had environmental problems you know if that happens there's ways to mitigate it but the best way to mitigate it is just don't take title walk away yeah, you know, so, but uh, yeah, that's a great investment. Other investment, there are syndication, uh, peer-to-peer. We talked a little bit about uh, uh, companies out there that uh, will set up a way to market these on a very small uh, increment basis. I can think of one that you can get into these for a very low entry. Uh, you do invest in an actual mortgage uh, they are actual uh, brokers set up through broker dealers. You know all the, all the going through all the bells and whistles that they're supposed to, but you can get into them for small amounts. Um, sometimes a thousand or five thousand dollars. So, and that's increments. called peer-to-peer lending. Uh, yeah, peer-to-peer. Um, so there are companies that are basically software companies that do this, syndicate these in that form. They, they do those more on a national basis, so they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. Now, Jack, one thing you mentioned when we were talking before this uh, recording, you mentioned oil wells as a unique yep. investment opportunity. I learned some things from that that right. I, I wasn't yeah, aware yeah. of. Share, share with us about that. Oh, and I've done oil wells uh, both uh, as an investor and as a broker-dealer. On an oil well, if you made a, a lot of money in one year, inordinate amount of money, what am I going to do with it? I'm going to have to pay all these taxes, you know. You can invest in, a, in an oil well, and there's, there's companies that that's what they do. They, they set up these oil wells. They bring in the investors. Uh, you can invest in an oil well. Usually, it, it will offset that income. Whatever you put in, you put 100 grand in, you're going to be able to write 100 or close to it off in the year you make the investment, even at the, toward the end of the year. The government gives you uh, incentives in these type of investments. And then, 
after that, you're going to be able to have additional write-offs for the depletion allowances. You know, oil is a finite amount of oil down there. Well, they do studies and try to figure out, you know, how much oil is down there, and then they, they allow you, just like you depreciate a building, to, de to depreciate or deplete your investment. So what you get to write that off over however many years, say five, five, ten years, whatever it is. And then you get an income from that well until the well is either sold, which is my biggest disappointment in investing in oil wells. The promoter often will sell the well. I wanted it for income. My mother-in-law and father-in-law had a well, and they've been, it was a family well on the family farm, and they've been getting checks for like, I don't know, 45 years. Uh, that's what I was looking for. And then they sell the well. Well, so you get some money when they sell the well. But I was looking for the long-term income. You know, you get you get to write all your investment off and you get money. That sounds like a pretty good thing. <laughs> right. But you got to know your promoter. That's the key on that. They got to do it right. They got to have a good history. Um, I would be worried about investing in wells that are being fracked with the current administration and things. Fracking is a bad word. You know, so there's a lot of wells that aren't being fracked that are good producers and good areas that you can invest in. Excellent. So, and, yeah. and one other thing that you mentioned that I'd like to make sure you cover here is investing in real estate right. and why that might even be more important today. Yeah, just as of recent with the crazy uh, inflation that's going on right now, when you're doing your, your estate planning for the last 20 years, we really haven't had to focus on inflation as much as we used to, remember, back in the 70s and 80s, or as we do now. So now it's something that we got to factor in. So now maybe uh, whether you buy a, you know a, a duplex rental homes, maybe have some of those in your in your personal bank, and you can do that in the community bank. You can't do that. They don't want you to be real estate owners in the FDIC, the OCC, the federal regulators. They allow you to have your branch, your home office but they don't want you investing in real estate. So when you foreclose on a property in a bank, uh, the regulators are usually all over you to get rid of it. And I have a good story in the book. We had a, we had a retail space not far from my house with a, a medical retail space on the front, a medical and surgery center behind it. We foreclosed on it. It was a, it was a participated loan, which means four or five of us banks got together and, and funded this loan that was too big for one of us to fund alone. So we funded this loan. They defaulted. Uh, the property was complete. It was leased out. We foreclosed on it. And it was throwing off about a 5.5% uh, return on investment. This was several years ago. That was a good amount. That was more than uh, or as much as we were earning on a loan. We thought, this is great. And the market had stopped going down. Now it was going up. Uh, the regulators didn't want to hear any of that good news. Uh, they just wanted us to sell that building. Uh, so uh, they were pushing, and uh, we're out of the San Francisco region, but there was uh, one of the participants was a bank up in North Dakota or somewhere in a different FDIC region, and that bank was actually holding us up on closing it, and it, it was taken over by the FDIC.
So the FDIC in another region was actually screwing our cell up. So we had to reach out to our regulators and say, look, you guys pushed us to sell this property and the FDIC is holding it up. So of course they got with their uh, their, counterparts. their com counterparts and got that squared away. So th we did wind up selling the property. But for you, it's great um, if you have something to help offset inflation. I love secured, uh, higher than bank return income from doing the loans. It gives you, uh, as we mentioned, that portfolio income. But there are benefits. And if you don't want to be a landlord, then, then you can go into a syndication. There are smaller syndicators. It's a way to get into an asset class that will appreciate and value, uh, eventually give you a capital gain income, but as important in this, this era of inflation is, is you can offset the inflation with the appreciation. So you're gonna get good cash flow and, and you're gonna get depreciation to help on your other income and you're going to get the appreciation when it is sold so mm -hmm. excellent i love it yeah banks can't do that but in your personal bank you can do it so right amazing banks well, banks wouldn't do the oil wells either so. right <laughs> well jack I, I know for myself i have this has been tremendous I, i've learned several things i didn't even know before i, I thought i knew it all before but now i know i didn't uh, we so, never we never know what we don't know, right? That's right, exactly. <laughs> so this has been great. I really appreciate you joining us today. Any concluding thoughts that you've got? You know, yes, as a business owner, whether you're there yet or not, you know, you may be in the early stages of your business. You know, we go into business, we work 40, 50 years, and and then we retire, and you're, you're accumulating these funds. Of course, it's best to start you know, setting money aside in your retirement account right from the very beginning, accumulating these funds that someday you're going to invest in your own bank. That's, that's the best advice I can give anybody. Uh, and then not to be afraid of doing things that are what's called non-traditional. Lending money out yourself is non-traditional. Um, going into an oil well investment or a tax certificate is not is you know just non-traditional type uh, of assets, but but really when you look at what a bank does, they do the same thing. It may not be the exact same things you do because you're not regulated by regulators, federal regulators. The whole purpose of the federal regulators is to protect the fund, not to protect the bank. They don't care about the bank. They they care about the fund. That's their job. They're supposed to care about the fund. Um, so they they make banks do certain things that you don't have to do. But some of the same things that the banks do by diversifying asset classes, by diversifying borrowers, uh, by diversifying if you're going into private placements, um, you know, diversifying different private placements, possibly different promoters, but with people that you've thoroughly vetted, that's important is to vet them to make sure that they're knowledgeable, that they have a good track record. That way your bank can be successful. And I hope that you make more money than putting your funds into a money market account. It's a great place to be while you're in business. You need the liquidity. You're going to need some of your money in a liquid mode. Money market accounts at a community bank is a great way to great place to be. You're going to earn much more than a money market account at, at a big bank. Um, but eventually the goal 
is we all want to be our own bank. Banks live on a 4% spread. I mean, some will make a little less, some will make a little more, but that's they take your money and they lend it out and they're shooting for that 4% spread. But what if you were the bank? What if, what if you were investing your money very cautiously, very wisely, and you make that money, uh, not only for yourself, but, but for your, your kids, your estate? So that would be my advice. I love it. Thank you, Jack. This is great. So any of you that would like to reach out and contact Jack, you can reach Jack at jack at hiltoncorp.com. Yes. H-I-L-T-O-N-C-O-R-P. Yes. Dot com, or your website is hiltoncorp.com. Yes, hiltoncorp.com. Wonderful. And check out the book on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, and Book Baby. Uh, Be the bank when the banks say no or move too slow. Read it. If you've got some questions, my email address is in the back of that book. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank you, Jack. Thank you very much. My key takeaways from this second part of our interview with Jack Hilton is that there are several ways that small business owners can be the bank in making their own investments similar to what banks do, but on their own. Jack also shared with us some interesting alternative investments that you may not think of as typical investments, such as investing in oil wells and what the tax benefits are that are provided through those. A peer-to-peer lending. We talked about real estate. And now that inflation is a bigger factor in our investment decisions, why real estate ownership may be an advantageous investment to make as your own bank. I hope you learned several new insights as I did from our conversation today with Jack Hilton. Thank you and we look forward to having you join us next week on Funding Quest, where our quest is to help you find the right funding for your small business.